Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and I'm joined as always by my brother from another mother, the man who works at my alma mater, University of Notre Dame, at the D. Nicholas Center for Ethics and Culture, uh, and the man who was the first human being on earth to break dance to Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Ken Hellenius. Ken! <laughs> How you doing? Oh, I do not know where you come up with these, but every time, and I, I don't know if you are, you know, looking in on my ring cam or whatever and watching me get out my cardboard and start busting a move, but there it is. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, as remixed, of course, by many fine DJs, as we all know. Yeah, that's right. It's going to be a twinkle, twinkle, little star electric boogaloo, is, is what I'm busting electric out. Boogaloo. Oh, man. You know, there's, there's some young people listeners have no idea what we're I know, talking right? about right now. That, so many so many fine films of the 80s and, and fine dance moves of the 80s just lost on the, the children of today. But uh, we encourage right, you, you know, get, right. get yourself some cultural education and watch Breakin' and Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> and you'll be ready for uh, the next show that we record because we'll bust in some more stuff. <laughs> no, no, That's no. Awesome. How are you, fine deacon? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, you know. Uh, on the road, but uh, I got a little bit of a break. I was in Kansas, and uh, this and next week I'll be in Kansas again. <laughs> you so. are living the dream. Now, when you go to Kansas, uh, and I know that we're actually carried on some stations in Kansas, so hello, my fellow Kansans. It's hello. a pleasure to chat with you. I'm envious. I get to go to Ohio every now and then, you know, which is <laughs> the heart of it all, as they say, the uh, state of Ohio's motto. But uh, but Kansas is a place I've not spent a lot of time in, so I'm I'm envious. I've driven through it, though, and it is indeed very flat. <laughs> yeah, that, that it is. And that's all I know that's about Kansas, sure. right? Well, wonderful. Well, Deacon, you know, um, we are blessed to have many great friends. You know, between you and I, we have we have connections and friends all around the world. And um, very recently, we had a, a guest of uh, that you had met on your travels, uh, Sarah Gracia, uh, the author, joined us and, and chatted about uh, her wonderful book, um, Prisoners of War. And uh, I thought, well, anything Deacon Harold can do, I can do better. I'm going to bring one of my friends. And so, um, so. You mentioned at the top of the show, I get to work at the uh, De Nicholas Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame. That's my my uh, day job, as they call it. And one of the fellows of our center and a person who's been affiliated with the work of the center uh, and a great friend of ours who has just moved to the University of Notre Dame. He is an alumnus himself of Notre Dame and for the last 10 years has worked in Rome uh, at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith is Father John Paul Kimes, uh, who is uh, now starting a new position at the Notre Dame Law School. And Father John Paul Kimes is a great friend of the uh, University of Notre Dame and he is a great friend of ours here at the De Nicola Center. He's actually on our Executive Advisory Committee uh, and he 
he his title is a fun title, the Raymond of Penyafort Fellow in Canon Law. Uh, and Father John Paul Kimes, uh, we are delighted to welcome to uh, Living Stones and uh, hoping that you're going to be a great friend of the show going forward. Hi, Father John Paul. How are you, Ken? It's good to be here. It's good to be with you, Deacon. I, uh, Ken has given me such a high billing that I hope I can only live up to the expectations of, of ha- helping him do better uh, everything that you could do. So uh, it's, just, uh, it's a pleasure to be here with the both of you. We're so glad to have you with us. Absolutely. Uh, truly. And this is, uh, this is great. So, well, this is your first time yes, uh, with us on Living Stones. It is. The first time our listeners are, are hearing you. Because uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit of a... A background about yourself and, you know, maybe a little bit about your vocation story, how you got to Rome and now at the University of Notre Dame. Absolutely. We'll give the abbreviated version. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was born in Birmingham, Alabama to in a wonderful family, uh, very rich in practicing the faith in a Maronite Catholic church in Birmingham, Alabama, the parish of St. Elias. And from there, uh, after attending Catholic schools, ended up at the University of Notre Dame through Uh, an experience with a particular professor, decided to change my major and become a theology major, which then led me obviously deeper into the Catholic faith, studying the fathers, kind of had a a bipolar experience in in my theological education. So I studied only church fathers and the Protestant Reformation. So it was a really (laughs) unique perspective on on the church's history. Uh, But that uh, led me to work for the Catholic Bishops Conference in Washington, D.C. for a year in uh, topics as a research assistant in Catholic education. And this is while still a layman? This is while still a layman. I was 22 or 23 years old at the time. And as my boss at the time, a wonderful priest, told me, he said, well, if you still feel God calling you to the priesthood after you've worked at the Bishops Conference, (laughs) then your vocation is probably pretty set. So (laughs) I picked up the phone one day and called my bishop and said, hey, I think I need to be a priest. And my bishop told me, well, you will uh, enjoy Rome and you'll be a great canon lawyer. So it was kind of, he already had very clearly in his mind exactly the path that God had chosen for me. So my bishop sent me to Rome to the Pontifical North American College, Mm -hmm. uh, where I had a magnificent experience with um, then Monsignor, now Cardinal Timothy Dolan was our rector at the time. Uh, Great formation faculty, great education at a couple of the universities there. Ended up uh, staying until I finished a doctorate in canon law and then was brought back to the U.S. for five years where I served in a parish in, I served in three parishes in the Detroit area. And then in 2009, I was called to the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in Rome, which uh, was in need of some extra canon lawyers for some particular problems the church has faced for the past 20 years. So I dedicated uh, 10 years, nine months, and I forget how many days to uh, (laughs) service at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And God, in his goodness, uh, gave me the opportunity to apply to a position here at the University of Notre Dame and to be the first professor of the practice is the title. Uh, So I'm an associate professor in the law school at the University of Notre Dame, teaching canon law to civil uh, law students. So it's uh, an exciting time. Uh, big change, and God is good. Wow, that's quite the journey. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned there that you grew up in a Maronite parish, uh, exactly. the parish of St. Elias. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I know next to nothing about. So um, unpack that a bit sure. for us. What does... Who are the Maronites? Yeah, so the the Maronites are one of the Eastern Catholic churches. So most, you know, the overwhelming majority of the Catholic universe is 
you know, defines itself as Roman Catholic. Well, everybody's Roman Catholic. Everybody's Catholic is Roman Catholic in one way because we're all in communion with Rome. Okay. But the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church, like all of us together, are actually 24 individual churches who are in communion in the faith and the practice of the sacraments. So the Roman Catholic Church, the Latin Church, makes up 94 percent of the population. So it's the overwhelming majority of the Catholic universe population-wise. But then there are 23 individual churches known as Eastern Catholic churches. So these are churches that developed... Well, if we take a step back, Deacon, I know you, you guys, you, both you and Ken are, are, are history buffs. So if we take a step back to the early days of the church, we know that the faith was expressed uh, primarily in five major cities in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. So Rome, of course, being the, you know, Caput Mundi, as they like to call it, it was mm-hmm. the center of the world, uh, Alexandria, Jerusalem the mother of all churches, as we like to call her, Antioch, and then later Constantinople. And in each of those cities, with the exception of Jerusalem, a different liturgical and spiritual form of praising God in the Christian tradition developed. And of those, obviously, the one that developed in Rome is the Latin Church, and sure. because of primarily because of missionary efforts, um, you know, in the 15th, 16th, and 17th centuries, and then later on, that was the church. That was the form of Catholicism that spread to the non-Mediterranean world, the okay. non-ancient world, if you will, right, the New right. World. Uh, whereas the Eastern Catholic Churches stayed pretty local to their environments. Now they uh, share, or each one has its own historical, liturgical, and spiritual patrimony, uh, which can be expressed in a different language and in a different liturgical form, so a different style of celebrating the liturgy. Those styles of celebrating the liturgy are technically called rites. Mm-hmm. R-I-T-E. So R-I-T-E-S, not, not R-A-G-H-T. <laughs> so it's R-I-T-E. And for many, many years uh, in the Catholic world, the Eastern Catholic churches were referred to as rites because what was exp- what was being focused on was the difference in the expression the liturgical expression of the faith sure. the so day in, day and day out lived the experience. day and day out lived experience uh, the style of prayer the language of prayer the way the liturgy was celebrated the all dress. of that the dress mm-hmm. exactly the vis- the vestments for the the priests wear it's the same faith Okay. And it's all obviously in communion with the Holy Father uh, under the under the Bishop of Rome, mm-hmm. and it's just a different expression of that faith. So the Maronite Church, in particular, developed out of Antioch, which is where we were first called Christians. Which is where we were first called Christians, which is in you know present day Syria, Turkey, that region there. So Antioch was a border town. It was uh, a major trading center in the ancient world. So there was a mix of the local elements who spoke Syriac. There was a Greek element from the trade. And there was also a large Jewish population in Antioch. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of, it was very much a um, melting pot. A melting pot. Yeah, Yeah. it was kind of, they don't want to call it the New York of its day, but it was certainly (laughs) a a New York is the Antioch of that day. Exactly. It was was certainly a crossroads. So there was a Lot, there were a lot of different cultural influences that mixed together in Antioch. And the Maronite Church grew up out of that mix of cultural and linguistic uh, influence, and in a very particular way, because uh, St. Maron, from whom the, the church takes its name, so Maron lived in the 4th century, late 4th, early 5th century. We know of his existence because there are testimony, the, the testimonial, if you will, are uh, there are two letters of St. John Chrysostom, 
that mm-hmm. refer to uh, Marin as being a monk who okay. lived on the plains of the Orantes River in present-day Syria. And what Marin basically did is he picked up his stuff and he felt called to a life of prayer and solitude. And like most good hermits, he set off on his own. And like most holy hermits, he ended up with a monastery of other men around him because they were all drawn to holiness. Yeah, yeah. And we all know that Anthony holiness is desert, attractive. All exactly. Anthony in the yeah, desert, everybody. Right, if you right. go out into the desert and you live a holy life, well, guess what? You're not going to be alone for very long. Right, so right, right. Uh, there developed a community of uh, monks, a monastic life developed around the style of prayer that Marin had sort of, I don't want to say created, but you know that brought with him into the desert and that monastic spiritual tradition grew into what we know today as the Maronite Catholic Church. And the oh. the one little, you know, sort of pride, Maronite pride uh, tidbit <laughs> is that the Maronite Catholic Church is the only of the Eastern Catholic Churches that does not have an Orthodox counterpart. The oh. Maronite Church never lost communion with Rome. with Rome. Wow. Whereas most of the Eastern Catholic Church, all of the other Eastern Catholic churches at some point or another in their history were further away from Rome than they were closer. So sure, there was there's sure. a we don't like to, you know, the the in the history books like to oversimplify things and talk about right. the great schism and blah, like all like right. there are these clear-cut lines in history, and the the ancient world was a lot more fluid. So the relationships between the Eastern Catholic Churches and Rome sort of ebbed and flowed over history. And in, you know, in certain instances, there was a division, and the, the Eastern Churches aligned themselves against Rome, and then, you know, if you will, quote unquote, orthodoxy, capital O orthodoxy, was born. Um, And then from that, segments of those churches came back into communion with Rome over the course of history, where there's another uh, unfortunate term that comes to be used in the, let's say, the 15th, 16th century efforts at reunification with the Eastern churches, the term uniate begins mm-hmm. to be used. And that was really a derogatory term that sure. doesn't do justice either to the the liturgical or, uh, patrimony of, of, of or these men and women or the sacrifices that they made for the faith. And so uniate could be a derogatory term, both from the Latin side saying, mm-hmm. well, you're not really Catholic. You've only kind of, you know, like, you're Just like, come back. you've like come back. Yeah, the prodigal son. Yeah, prodigal son, like a, yeah, not even exactly. like, a, not even like a good prodigal son. And then, <laughs> and then on the other side, it's, it can be a derogatory terms like, oh, well, you're the people that left because yeah. you wanted to go be with the, with those people in Rome. Yeah, so it's a term that unfortunately things, yeah. we see in history books and, um, you know, but we've, it's a term we've moved past fortunately, cause it's really not a particularly nice term. Wow. Thanks for the history. Yeah, lesson, sorry. That so, was, no, that was really sorry. Then, no, that's sorry wonderful. how you get from that's Birmingham, wonderful. Alabama to the plains of the Orontes <laughs> River in Syria in the fourth century. But hey, that's what being Catholic is all about, right? That's right. That is marvelous. Now, Deacon, you actually have a connection to the Maronite Church as well, if I remember right. Yes. You know, actually, my very first interaction with the Maronite Church was actually during my formation of the, uh, to the diaconate. Uh, one of the things that was part of the formation program when I went through was we visited several Eastern churches okay. that are in communion with Rome. Sure. So we visited St. Charbel's in, Portland, in, um, absolutely. in uh, Southeast Portland. Yeah. And at that time, remember Abuna, Jonathan Decker sure. was there. Probably to this day, the most sought after spiritual director in the diocese or, or the uh, eparchy. Wow. Everybody. I mean, so many priests tell me they owe their vocations to him. 
Huh. That they, they were questioning, they were struggling, they were thinking about that's the that was the go to. And he was he's a monk, yeah. but he was um, called away to become a pastor. But now has gone back. In fact, established a monastery just hour and a half north in Washington State. Now, wow. Him and uh, f- uh, five other monks are, are establishing a community there now. So now there's a, another pastor at St. Charles. That was my first exposure, hmm. and we went to the liturgy. It was just I was blown away. It was just. Beautiful. I've not seen anything like that before. And I was immediately drawn to the rise. I was like, wow. And it just opened my mind. Like the Catholic Church is more than what you see every Sunday at your parish. Right. You know, it opened up a, a whole new thing. And then, um, and then that deepened when I was invited to Australia. Um, I was invited to Australia in Perth to speak the very first time back in 2012. And then uh, a very, very, very good friend and business colleague of mine now, Charbel Raish, he invited me to do a speaking tour. And so I got, he's he's Maronite. And in fact, there's a ton of Maronites. If I'm correct, you can correct me here, Abuna, if I'm wrong. Uh, but he told me that the, uh, uh, Australia has the largest uh, collection of Maronite Catholics outside of Lebanon. Wow. Are in Australia. I mean, there are tons yeah. of Maronite churches all yeah. over Australia. It's It's phenomenal. Yeah. And so from my interaction with him, I started, of, of course, speaking at and attending many of the, the, the holy mysteries, you know, the, the divine liturgy there. It was just, and I, and I just wanted to learn. I said, I, I wonder if I can, if I, if I learn enough of this, if I can participate, you know. And, and then I, I met uh, Saidna, and um, he actually came to one of my talks. Awesome. And what was beautiful, he came to the talk and he said, if, and he he's, he had actually you come back again I will bring all my priests and sure enough I came back and he, and at that time he was in the front row with all of the priests wow. in the pew and I was like wow and he and we just be, kind of became friends and then he said if you learn the right I will give you faculty I mean, it was it's just been a yeah. beautiful beautiful relationship. Uh, with the Marin, I said, uh, to me, it's like a second home, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, I'm struggling with the Arabic. I mean, I, 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 Latin, I took it when I was at Notre sure. Dame. I took sure. three years of Latin at ND. And then I have Greek and Hebrew, but not the, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm just not around it enough to be able to grasp the, uh, so I still have to look at the, you know, well, when I'm singing sure. uh, during the run, I still have to look at the, at the book, you know, but uh uh, but it's been a beautiful relationship. And, and one of the great things, Deacon, too, is that, you know, that you mentioned, you know, you being in Australia and having the experience with St. Charbel in Portland. I'm sure you noticed, too, that one of the things the Maronite Church has done, uh, you know, is using the vernacular. So in, you know, many of those communities in Australia, as you mentioned, are first-generation immigrants to whom, for whom Arabic is their native tongue. Sure. So it's appropriate that the sacraments be celebrated in Arabic, you know, to help these, the, to help those people so they can worship in their native language. Whereas uh, you know, I'm sure the experience at St. Charbel in Portland was was much more English based. As, you <laughs> yeah. know, as, yeah. So you know, yeah. it, it, it's one of those uh, things that the same kind of um, challenge that the the Roman Church has had in the U.S. in the in integrating the use of Spanish uh, to reach out and to service, uh, you know, to to to, to minister to uh, immigrants, to migrants, and, mm-hmm. and migrants mm-hmm. and immigrants in the U.S. The same reality is true in the Maronite Church, which has. 
what um, you know they 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 started talking about a diaspora of the Maronite churches and. I really got upset about that because I was born in this country. I was raised in the United States. I was not part of a diaspora. The diaspora people who left and who are yearning to come back. I'm like, no, you have, this is called, this is growth. This is, this is mission. This is not, this is not the longing to come back to a land you didn't know. So fortunately we got the, we got the, the, the patriarch to start talking about, and he uses the Arabic term, the intishar, the expansion. So again, which has more of that missionary feel of these are, these are these are immigrants who who left Lebanon, which is a very small reality, and the the Maronites, the Lebanese in general, have always been bigger than Lebanon. So, you know, the 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 millions that have left the country over the past 150 years or so, who have found uh, a new home in whether it's in 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 France and other places in Europe, or in the United States, in Canada, in Mexico, in Brazil, in Argentina, in you know more recently in Australia, uh, as well as in West Africa. I mean, they're, they're Maronite communities, South Africa, West Africa, they're, they're Maronite communities all over the world. This is not a diaspora. This is what Catholicism is all about. This right. is the mission. This is going out and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and, you know, where you are and, yeah. and you know, using the language that you need to use to be able to preach that gospel. So if it's Arabic, go for it. Deacon, I have just as many problems with Arabic, and I studied it at Notre Dame for four years, so don't worry. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, but, you know, but I, I, awesome. I, used it, I used it a lot when I was in, um, you know, in the, the parochial experience I talked about in Detroit. Many of those uh, Maronites were immigrants themselves or first generation born in the States whom, for whom Arabic was a more common part of their daily life. So we would mix uh, English and Arabic in, in the liturgy and in the celebration of the sacraments to be able able to better preach the word of God. Wow. Yeah, you know, and I just would say, I just, I've been throwing, we've been throwing around a few. Yeah, I want to. Arabic. Uh, yeah, terms. sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. I just, I, you know, I should say, because people may not understand what we were talking sure. about. Yeah. So, you know, for us as in, in the, in the Roman church, and we have our dioceses, archdioceses, and we have bishops, archbishops, sure. uh, priests, and deacons. And so Obviously, there's parallels in the other mm-hmm. churches as well, and so some of the names that we've been through sure, sure. Yeah. are are the, the are the parallels. We just go through those quickly, sure. fathers, for our listeners. I think the the you know if we start with the basics, we start we start at the macro level and move our way down to the micro level. I think the you know the macro we talk about in in the Latin church we talk about diocese. Well, what everybody forgets is that diocese is actually a Greek word. It's not a Latin word, mm-hmm. and there's another Greek word uh, that means exactly the same thing as diocese, and that's epar. And they were both, uh, they were geographic divisions, if you will, within the empire, within the Roman Empire. So, you know, some dioceses were a different level of geographical decision that division than an eparchy, but they both mean the same thing. They both mean a specific territory. Okay. And so obviously in the Catholic world, that specific territory is tied directly to a bishop. So whether it's a, a bishop, whether it's a, a diocese or an archdiocese, there's a bishop or an archbishop, the same is the case in the Eastern Catholic world, but rather than the term diocese, we just use the other Greek word, which is eparchy. Okay. So we talk about eparchies and the not so creative arch eparchy. So they're <laughs> The, 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 the parallels are pretty, pretty spot on, actually. Sure, sure. And, you know, technically, uh, you know, we use the term bishop. The term bishop is a universal term. You know, the, the, the Greek, episcopus, everybody picks it up. Um, but we talk about an eparchial bishop. There really aren't titular bishops in the Eastern Catholic world the way they would be in 
in the Latin world. So when we have like an auxiliary bishop in in the Latin in the Eastern Catholic world, historically wouldn't have been a figure that existed. So okay. we wouldn't have historically had auxiliary bishops the way that you do in larger dioceses and archdioceses in in the Latin world. Um, they have some now that they've picked up because again they've they they need them. But administrative, um, administrative, it's you know administrative help. Sacramental um, but help. It's not so much sacramental help because oh. in the Eastern Catholic churches priests can yep. confirm. Oh, okay. So, and, okay. All, you know, to, to, not to take too much of a sidetrack, sure. but all three of the sacraments of initiation tend to be celebrated together, or at least two of the three are celebrated together. Sure. So, like, in the Maronite Church, we celebrate two of the sacraments of initiation together, uh, baptism and what we call chrismation, or which is confirmation. Right. Uh, it just takes the name chrismation from the Holy Chrism, the name of the oil that's actually used in the sacrament of confirmation. So, Every time I baptize a Maronite baby, I also confirm that Maronite baby, so we don't have to wait for the bishop to come. And, <laughs> right, you know, right. So confirmation is not the big parish celebration that it would be uh, in, a, in a Latin church. But anyway, uh, going back, you know, you'd mentioned the term Sayidna, which is a term of, of respect, a term of endearment uh, that we use in the Maronite church to, for, as a title for bishop. It literally means our Lord. Okay. And then uh, Deacon was kind enough earlier to refer to me as Abuna, which is a term of endearment as well for the priest and it literally just means our father. So when you go to, you know, it, 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 but it's a warm and loving term. So when you go to a Maronite parish and as a priest and you hear somebody call you a Buna, it's it really drives home that, that spiritual paternity, that fatherhood that all priests are called to have throughout the world. Wow. Yeah. You've opened up an entirely new world, and I've known you for years <laughs> and, and still have never, you know, it's, it's entirely new yeah. to, to me, to, to this Latin boy here, you know, but... Um, Father, unfortunately, Abuna, for, unfortunately, yeah. we, um, our conversation always tends to get away from us. Deacon Harold likes to talk a lot. So do I, you know. I, uh, I throw myself in that ring, too. I'm sorry. So. <laughs> we, would love, no, great. we would love to have you back because there's this whole other part of your life that, uh, that we want to unpack and, sure. and know about about canon law, which you've been working in for all these years, but uh, would you be willing to come back in a it few would, weeks? It would be an honor us? as a can as long as long as the deacon is here, it'd be an honor to come back. So I don't because uh, <laughs> I know you're going to be busy practicing those breakdancing moves. Yeah, and there's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, uh, thank you, thank you so it's much for a pleasure. coming with us, and, and good luck in your new job here at Notre Dame. Thank as you, well. thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, and God bless all your listeners. Thank you. Well, that's actually want to let everybody know you can always connect with us. Download all the previous episodes of the show at moderndayradio.com and you can also connect with us on Facebook just type in Living Stones Media and you'll come to our page and we put interesting links and and uh, maybe we'll see if I can we'll take a selfie before uh, before we're done here and we'll, we'll post that up uh, so that uh, folks can see just what a what a handsome priest of God you oh, are oh good lord so, um, <laughs> but uh, until we gather again next week normally I ask the deacon for a blessing but no, he, uh, Father no, would you Buddha be willing to, uh, yep. to give us a blessing. Absolutely. We'll use a traditional blessing from the Maronite uh, liturgy then, something very simple. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, the Father who made us, the Spirit who redeems us, the Son who saves us. Lord Jesus Christ, we beg that you send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to guide our thoughts, our words, and our actions, that what we think, say, and do may bring greater glory to your name and lead others to do the same. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, to whom be glory now and forever. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones.
been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.